was in Minnesota last week. Didn't, didn't get to hear Pastor Bull in person, but I, when we were driving back, did you guys see that, uh, what do they call that thing? Was it a derecho? Is that what they call it? That hit Iowa? We were 20, 30 minutes behind that. And we, we, we drove through the devastation of that. I mean, the winds went right, right through that uh, Cedar Rapids area right before we got there. And so we, I mean, we were driving around fallen trees and down power lines. There were barns and houses and businesses with the roofs torn off, just devastation. But uh, anyway, on that drive home, I got to listen to Pastor Bill, uh, thanks to Facebook. And uh, great word. And I, I preached prior to that. I think today's message is kind of going to dovetail what I preached the, the week prior and what ba- Pastor Bill preached last week. Kind of going to kind of dovetail together today. I, I want to talk to you about where we are and what, what I believe God wants to work in us and his people. And we're just going to call this message resilience. Because I, I believe God wants to develop a resilience in his people. How many of you recognize we are in troubling times? There's hardship all around us. There's, there's suffering. There, I believe there's persecution that's, that's coming. There's all kinds of things. And we haven't even seen persecution yet here in, in the United States. But, but there are things that, we, that are going to come in our, our lifetime before the return of Jesus that we're going to have to be ready to endure. Amen. And we're, we're going to have to have some resilience. And so I want to talk to you about that. I've, I've been kind of camped in 2 Timothy. I preached from 2 Timothy here two weeks ago. And I'm still in 2 Timothy. I've been reading it. And how many of you know God's word speaks in every season? And this has just been speaking to me in this season that we're in. How many of you know fourth, fourth chapter of Timothy? It says that in the last days, what, what's going to happen? Perilous times are going to come. It gives us a lot of the signs and symptoms. And it's, 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 it's very descriptive if you look at our culture today, where we are today as a culture. A lot of those, those uh, signs of, uh, that, that Timothy warned about are very evident in our culture. And they have been, I believe, since, since uh, Jesus ascended to heaven. I believe those things have been present. But I, I just believe these things are being intensified. The darkness is, is waxing worse and worse. How many of you know that's going to happen? That's, that's what the, the, the scripture foretells happening, uh, that the things are going to get worse and worse. It's not going to get better. We're, we're, we're not going to legislate morality. We're not going to cause humanity to get better. I believe humanity is devolving, not evolving, but devolving because of sin and the effects of sin on humanity. This world is just going to get worse, but the church is gonna get better, amen? The light's gonna shine brighter in the midst of all the darkness that's around us. We're, we're, we're gonna be effective. The Lord is going to use us, but we've gotta be a resilient people in order for God to use us. And so I wanna look in 2 Timothy chapter one, and uh, we're gonna we're going look at uh, this passage here, this, this epistle, the Apostle Paul, just for some background, maybe you're not familiar with this. The Apostle Paul wrote this epistle to a young man named Timothy. This is the second epistle that, that he writes. An epistle is a letter. This is the second letter that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. And Timothy is a, a, a protege of, of Paul. In other words, Paul was mentoring, discipling, raising, training Timothy from a, a young man. He, I believe he knew Timothy when he was younger. He knew Timothy's family, and we're going to see that in this, in this text. He, he knew Timothy's family, and he discipled Timothy, and he sent Timothy to, at this point, he's in Ephesus. There's also indication that in, in the book of Philippians that, that Paul sent Timothy to Philippi at one point. But at this point, we believe that, that Timothy is pastoring, leading an elder at, at uh, the church at uh, Ephesus. 
Uh, and so this, this is where it's at. And he writes this letter. And, and I, to, I, I talked a couple weeks ago about how uh, in, in the, the writing of this letter, Paul is encouraging Timothy. Kim, Timothy is, is having to endure some things. He's having to go through some hardships. Uh, his, his world as a pastor or a leader and an elder is kind of being rocked. There's all kinds of things, sin and, and, and then opposition and things that are coming against him. And also the, the fact that, that his spiritual father is locked up in chains. He's in, he's in Rome, he's in prison. He, this, this letter is written from a Ro- Roman prison that comes through in this text that we're gonna read. And, and he, he's encouraging Timothy in this letter not to get discouraged, to stand, to, to be resilient to continue to persevere in the work that God's called them to do. And so uh, we'll, we'll start to read. With that, that in mind, we'll read this, this text. I'm going to read 14 verses here, a little bit of reading. But the word of God is worth reading. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I've been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I'm writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know the same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan and to flame the spiritual gift God gave you. And I just, this, this is underlined here in my notes, the spiritual gift that God gave you. When I laid my hands on you. Verse 7, this is kind of probably a central verse today, the central uh, verse for our, our message. For God has not given us the spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline, or a sound mind. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. Again, that's underlined in my notes. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength that God gives you, this is not something that we have to do in our own resolve, church. When I talk about resilience, it's not about gritting our teeth and white knuckles. This resilience comes from the power of God. Amen? It's him empowering us with the strength God gives you. Be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news or for the sake of the gospel. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of, his plain, all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated, illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Amen and hallelujah. And he chose me to be a preacher 
an apostle and a teacher of this good news. And this is why I am suffering here in prison. But I am not ashamed of it. That's highlighted in my notes. I am suffering here in prison, but I am not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Amen. That was the important thing we learned about last week. The Lord's returning. And of all of our end time studies, that's the most important thing to grasp. Jesus is coming back for us. Amen. He is returning. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me, a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Again, I, I highlighted this through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Again, I just emphasize, we, we don't have to muster up the courage. This is not a, a matter of human resolution. It's a matter of the power of the Spirit of God that resides on the inside of us. The Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, and he wants to stand up and make us stand out. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for what you are doing in your church. You are working, and it's easy for us to lose sight of that. You're, you're not caught off guard by any circumstance, by any situation, by anything that's going on in this world today. You have us positioned exactly where you want us. Your plan is coming to pass in the fullness of time. You're working out what you have designed. And we're thankful, Lord, just to be a part of it. You have called us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Father, empower us. Empower your people, Lord God. May we stand against every fiery dart of the enemy, against every attack, against every assault. May we be able to persevere. May you make us a resilient people, Lord God. Let our eyes be set upon you. Let our, our hearts be fixed upon the things that really matter, Lord God. We, we would seek first your kingdom, and we would not be disillusioned by anything that we see happening around us, Father. I thank you for it, and I give you praise for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We've been talking, I, I talked a couple weeks back about this, this conflict that we're in. The, the kingdom of heaven is at war. It's the great cosmic conflict. It's, it's, there's a spiritual battle, a battle beyond anything that we can see, beyond anything that we can comprehend with our human senses. There is a war that is being waged. And I've kind of glazed over these two scriptures. I want to look at them again. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, and Luke chapter 16, verse 16. I've mentioned these several times over the last uh, few weeks or months, but I, I, I want to kind of just dive into these a little bit just to help understand what, what, what Jesus is saying. Matthew 11, verse 12. I want to read it out of the Amplified Version. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured a, a violent assault, and violent men seize it by force as a precious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. In other words, we've got to press in. That's what it says in Luke 16, 16. The law and the prophets were until John, and since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man 
presses into it. In other words, the kingdom of God is not going to come when you're sitting on your lazy boy watching Monday night football. It's not going to come in the time when you're relaxed or when you're self-absorbed or when you're caught up in all the things of the world. The kingdom of God comes when we press in. The word there is biadzo in the Greek. It means to force, to crowd oneself into, to seize. We have to force our way into the kingdom of God. We, we are involved in warfare, and we have to seize what God says is rightfully ours. It's not just going to fall into our laps. Uh, the, the writer in, in, in Ecclesiastes said, the, 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 talking about the purposes of God, he said, they're hidden from man so that no man can find them out, right? We, we, the, our, our carnal man cannot receive the things of, of the kingdom of God. So we have to engage in a spiritual way. It's through prayer, it's through fasting, it's through worship, it's through reading the word of God, it's through communion with God, the Holy Spirit. That is how the kingdom of God comes to our life. It's, it's not in our lackadaisicalness, it's not in our apathy, it's not in our, our backsliding or our half-heartedness. We, we will not receive the kingdom of God that way. We have to press into it. We have to advance. Everyone is forcing his way into this kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advanced and violent men are forcing their way into it. That's what Jesus is saying when he says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom doesn't come without a fight. Having said that, I, I, I want to go back and emphasize something. Jesus has already won the war. Jesus has already got the victory, and he is procuring it through us, the church. That's what the harvest is all about. That's what soul winning, disciple making, extending the kingdom of God is all about. It's advancing the kingdom that Jesus has already won the war for. That's the reality. The, the problem is this. I, I think we can look at a very wise man, a guy named Mick. How many of you know Mick? He was uh, Rocky Balboa's trainer. <laughs> and in the movie Rocky, he makes a very profound statement. He says, the worst thing that could happen to a fighter has happened to you. Talking to Rocky. He says, the worst thing that can happen to a fighter has happened to you. You've been, I, I, wish, I, I wish I could do a good Mick accent. I just can't. <laughs> the worst thing that can happen to a fighter has happened to you. He looks at Rocky and he says, you've been domesticated. <laughs> but that's the, the sad indictment, I think, of the church today. The worst thing that could possibly happen to us has happened. We have been domesticated. We've been taught to sit on pews and to play church. And to, we, we, we've been churched. This, I like to say it this way. We've been churched, but we have not properly been discipled. And it's a tragedy. We, we, we have to be awakened from this. We have to take our position. We, we have to awaken to the fact that we are in the middle of a violent onslaught of demonic proportions. And we have to engage in the battle that the Lord has called us to engage in. We, we have been liberated, not domesticated. 
and we have been set free to fight as warriors. How many of you are familiar with William Wallace? I'm going to give one for my wife here. My wife is, is Scottish and Welsh. The Scottish and the Welsh are both fighting over who William Wallace belongs to. So she gets a claim on both ends. But a Christian ought to look like a whole lot like William Wallace. You remember the, that scene where they're, they're arrayed against the enemy and William Wallace, they, they, just, they, they go ballistic, Wah! crazy, and, and they're getting ready to charge. I mean, they're outnumbered and they're getting ready to charge this opponent. That's what Christianity, I think, ought to look like. I like, I like what John Hagee says, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to charge hell with a water pistol. That's Christianity. That's what we ought to look like. We are not intimidated. We are not pushed back. And we understand that we are involved in a conflict and we're not going to let the enemy push us back anymore. We're ready to fight. We're ready to engage. Amen. Paul, Paul, and we read two weeks ago, we read about this, that we can't get entangled with the affairs of the world. We we are soldiers. He's, He's admonishing Timothy, Right? And he's saying the same thing. As you read through this letter, this is the message that Paul is trying to get across to Timothy. And he's he's encouraging him in this passage that we read today, do not be ashamed. Church, we cannot be ashamed of this gospel that we preach. We cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ. We cannot be ashamed of the kingdom of God. We cannot be ashamed of the scriptures. We cannot be ashamed of who we are in Christ Jesus. We cannot be ashamed. Amen? And and the emphasis, 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 I'll get it right. The emphasis that Paul is saying to Timothy, there, there is all laced through that passage that we read, the the emphasis of the Holy Spirit that is working in Timothy's life. And it's the emphasis of the the Holy Emphasis. uh, Every once in a while I have a hard time with word. One particular word will catch me. The emphasis. (laughs) The emphasis that I believe God wants us to have is the power of his spirit that lives on the inside of us. Amen? Amen. We will not be ashamed if we are full of the Holy Spirit. I I didn't get this, uh, this this scripture just came to me during worship and I didn't get it to our media team, but Romans 5, 5. It says that hope does not make us ashamed. It keeps us from being ashamed because the Holy Ghost has been shed abroad in our hearts. Right? The, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Amen? The Spirit of God on the inside of our heart will keep us from being ashamed. Amen? It'll keep us from cowering. It'll keep us from losing hope. It'll keep us from losing courage. It's the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. That's what uh, the, the Luke in Acts 1 and 8, as, as he writes, he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, and this is Jesus speaking, Luke writing of Jesus. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Church, we are a Holy Spirit church. We are a spirit-empowered, spirit-infused, spirit-led church. We are a people of God's spirit. And it's only the spirit of God that's in us that's keeping the wrath of God from being poured out on this earth in judgment. There's a judgment to come 
And church, we are the only ones that are holding that back right now. It's the spirit of God on the inside of us. There's impending judgment that's coming. And this world is worthy of it. Every ranked sinner deserves the judgment of God. It's coming. But the only reason it's being held back right now is because of the spirit of God that's on the inside of us. Amen? And this spirit on the inside of us empowers us. It says you will be witnesses. You will be influencers for the kingdom of God. For Jesus' sake, the Holy Spirit will make us a people of witness. Listen, we need to be a, a, a church that is, that is demonstrating both the, the, the gifts and the fruits of the Spirit of God, right? We, we, and that's kind of where we got off, I think, in the, in the charismatic or Pentecostal world. We got so focused on gifts and one gift in particular. And, and don't get me wrong. Hey, we, we need to speak in tongues. Paul said, I speak in tongues more than all of you, right? But prophecy, words of wisdom and knowledge and faith and, and miracles and all those things, the gifts of the Holy Spirit need to be manifest in the body of Christ. That's been our focus. You know, we also need to focus on getting the fruit of the Spirit as well, right? So the patience and love and kindness, all these things begin to manifest in our life as well. And when the church is operating in the gifts of the Spirit, we are engaged in the warfare that God's called us to engage. And we're engaging not in our own strength, not in our ability, not in our, our, our strategies and our mindsets, but we're engaging by the power of the Holy Spirit. When, when, when Paul said that you will have power, or Jesus, when Jesus said, I'm sorry, that you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, here's what it is. It's the word dunamis. And it, it, it means strength, power, or ability. And, and when you study in the original languages, there, there's six definitions. I'll give them to you real quick. There's inherent power, number one, inherent power, power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or thing exerts and puts forth. Number two, power for performing miracles. These, these are going, going looking at the original languages, these are the definitions of this word dunamis. Number three, moral power and excellence of soul. Number four, the power and influence which belongs to the rich and wealthy. Think about that. That's the power the early church exhibited. How many of you know that people with power and wealth can get things done? That's what it's saying. You read Acts chapter 2, I think it's in verse 42, somewhere around there. One of the, one of the, the indicators, the, the, the characteristics of the early church, it says they had influence with man and God. That's the word power there. God, by his power, wants to give us influence with man and God. That like the wealthy, we can get some things done. Because we are wealthy, the spirit of God residing in us. It's the riches of heaven. Amen? The, the Bible calls it the supply of the spirit. Amen? We are not bankrupt. We are not without a supply. We are not without resources. We are not without power. We have the riches and wealth of heaven, and we should be able to influence some things. Amen? Jesus told us to go, I don't know who said this, but I love this quote. Jesus told us to go make disciples, and ever since, the world has been making disciples of us. God's spirit was given to us to influence the world, to make them disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? We have the power of influence like the rich and wealthy because of the Holy Spirit that resides in us. Number five, power and resources arising from numbers. 
And number six, power consisting in or resting upon armies, forces, and hosts. So Paul said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon, or I keep saying Paul, Jesus said, when the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you're going to have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. God has given us his power, not so we can get our spiritual fix, not so we can get holy goosebumps. Don't get me wrong, I enjoy all that. Listen, you're looking at a young man that stood in an altar and got drunk in the Holy Ghost for three hours. I was a drunk when I walked in and I was a free man when I walked out. So I, I, I don't, I get it. We all, we all need our fix. We all need a touch. We all need that experience, but it's for more than just our own self. It's for us to go out and make a difference in this world. Amen? That's what it's about. So let's, I want to shift gears here. We're going to shift from power and the Holy Spirit to suffering for a minute. I, w- I want to look at the Olivet Discourse because I, I, I believe it gives us a lot of insight about what's been going on in our world today. The Olivet Discourse. Uh, just real quick, I believe three things are discussed in the Olivet Discourse. The, the abomination of desolation, the uh, beginning of sorrows, and the tribulation period. Three different times in in Hebrew writing, we need to understand this, that in Hebrew writing, chronology is not very important. The prophets talk about all kinds of different events all at the same time. For example, example, Daniel 9, 24, he talks about the 70 weeks. That was talking about 69 weeks leading up to the uh, Messiah coming in and presenting himself as the Prince of Israel. That was one instance that he's talking about in that prophecy. And then he's talking about a seven-week period that is yet to take place. We know that in, in, in our modern terms of theology, we know that as the tribulation, that seven-year period. So in Hebrew writing, both the Old Testament and the New Testament Chronology is not always important, and the prophets or the writers will often talk about several different events all in the same sentence or paragraph or breath, okay? So in the Olivet Discourse, and the Olivet Discourse is a message that Jesus gives when his disciples ask, when will we know, the, the, what are the signs of your return? When are you going to come back? How do we know that? How, do, how will we recognize that? And Jesus gives what's known as the Olivet Discourse. He talks about, the, the I believe, the, the abomination of desolations, the, the beginning of sorrows, and tribulation. Are we in tribulation? I don't think so yet. We could be. Somebody asked me, what do you think about this peace treaty that was signed this week between uh, Israel and the, uh, the United Arab Emirates? I don't know. Is that the beginning? I don't know. Just to be honest with you, I don't know. I like what Pastor Bill said last week. There's just some things I don't know. That's a good way for us to approach eschatology. Because the reality is there's all kinds of theologians saying all kinds of different things, and none of them have all the answers. There's some things we can be sure about, and there's some other things we're kind of trying to figure out. And that's all right. We seek the Holy Spirit, and he's going to lead us to it. Amen? So the Olivet Discourse talks about the beginning of sorrows. I believe that's where we're at. I believe in the 20th century, we entered into what's, what, what I believe is the beginning of sorrows. I'll, I'll show you why. There, there are five signs that Jesus gave for the this, this season called the beginning of sorrows. And I believe that we are seeing, have been seeing for the last hundred some years, the, the, the signs of the beginning of sorrows. To set this up, in the 20th century, our world's population has quadrupled. Did you know that? In the 20th century. Coming in, in 1900, our world's population was 1.5 billion. 100 years later, our world's population was 6 billion. 
Think of that. In 100 years, our world saw the greatest growth in population in the history of our planet, from 1.5 billion to 6 billion people on planet Earth. Think about that. That set the stage for the beginning of sorrows, that population boom. And so the signs, the five signs. Number one is, is that there will be many false prophets. How many of you have ever seen that on television or YouTube or social media? There are many false prophets. There are many that are claiming to be Messiah, right? We're, we're seeing that happen. Every, you, you, can, you can go on every continent on our planet and find men claiming to be Messiah. You can find all kinds of false prophets. This world abounds with false prophets. Number two, the second indicator, it says that nations shall rise against nation. And we'll start to talk about these things in numbers of deaths. Listen to this. In World War II, between 16.5 million and 20 million people were killed in World War II. Or World War I, I'm sorry. In World War II, estimates of 55 million, 72 million, or 85 million are given for how many people died during World War II. Just you think about the, the, the two nuclear incidents in World War II, 115 million people. That are, I'm sorry, is that right? I think it is. Yeah, 115, not, not million, 115,000 people died instantly in those two nuclear bombs. You think about that. This is why I, I think we're in the beginning of sorrows. We're, we're seeing the signs of that. Uh, and, and the other sign of it, or the, the wording of it, verse, I think it's in Luke 24, verse 7. Jesus says, ethnos, or nation shall rise against nation. The, 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 the literal translation of that is ethnos shall rise against ethnos. Ethnicity against ethnicity. What we're seeing today in our streets in America, it's the fulfillment of this scripture. Ethnicity rising against ethnicity. It, it, it's the work of the enemy. It's the work of the devil to divide. What's the mission of Satan? John 10, 10, Jesus gives his mission and the devil's mission. The, devil of, the, 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 the mission of our, our enemy is to still kill and destroy, right? That's what racism is about. It's the destruction of life. It's the destruction of humanity, right? And listen, KKK is a part of, there's so many, we can go through all, all kinds of different strands. And I, I want to say this, one, one of the, the greatest tools of the enemy when it comes to racism is Planned Parenthood. It needs to be said. It needs to be said aloud. The church needs to declare that. It, it is the greatest <laughs> planned, we need to hear this. This is hidden. The world wants this truth to be hidden. Planned Parenthood is the tool of the devil. It was started and has continued to be ran by racists. We need to state that. 79% of every Planned Parenthood clinics is in a minority neighborhood. 68% of every abortion in America is, with, it is a minority baby that's killed. Black, Hispanic, or Asian, 68%. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, was a eugenicist and a racist who regularly spoke at the Ku Klux Klan meetings. It's an instrument of racism. It's a fulfillment of this ethnos against ethnos. We need to understand that. 33% of the abortions in America are African-American children that are murdered. It is murder. 33% are African-American. Now, only 13% of our population in the United States 
is African-American. It's disproportionate. It is an attack on minorities. We need to understand that. We need to say that very loud and very clear. Planned Parenthood is from the pit of hell. Abortion is from the pit of hell. Life in the womb. Life in the womb. It's valuable. And from the moment of conception, God, scripture is very, very clear with this. From the moment of conception, that is a life. We need to understand that. There is a destiny from the moment of conception. The Bible is very clear. There's no way around that if you look at scripture. And, 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 and it's not just black and white things. When we talk about ethnics, one, one, ethnic, one ethnicity against another, look at, remember Kosovo, the late 1990s, right? Serbians against Albanians, right? Look at Iran and Iraq. Look at the Nazis exterminating the Jews, trying to exterminate the Jews. Uh, look at the South, of, South African apartheid. Look at the Uyghurs in China being murdered and, and persecuted by, by the Chinese government. Uh, look at the United Kingdom. The, you got the Scots, the, 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 the Welsh, and the English. And, and my wife will tell you, they'll fight each other. Look at North, and, North Ireland and Ireland. What is this? Ethnos against ethnos. It's the fulfillment of this scripture. Right here in our own backyard, we got the UK and Louisville. <laughs> it's a battle. <laughs> I remember when we, we first went to the church in Kentucky where we pastored, they, they, the first time we were there, they introduced my wife and they said she's from the UK. Somebody stood up and said, go Big Blue. <laughs> the pastor had to clarify, it is the United Kingdom, not the University of Kentucky. <laughs> But what we are seeing, nation rising against nation, ethnicity rising against ethnicity. It's the fulfillment of what Jesus was talking about. And, and, and one of the greatest things that I think should encourage us is Jesus' words immediately following his teaching on ethnicity rising against ethnicity. He says, see that you are not troubled. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 6. He says, see that you are not troubled. The gospel is going to be preached to the end of the earth. That's the encouragement that Jesus gives us. Number, number three, the third indicator is great earthquakes in various places. You know that in the 19th century, about half a million people died from earthquakes. In the 20th century, 1.3 million people died in earthquakes. In the 21st century, we're 20 years into this, over 800,000 people have died in earthquakes. We are living, folks, in the beginning of sorrows. What happened in Beirut? It's a part of this thing, the beginning of sorrows. Famines is the fourth indicator. In the 20th century, 70 million people died due to famine. With all of our wealth, with all of our ability to transport things these days, I mean, I mean they, can, they can drone your new iPhone and drop it on your front porch without getting out of the UPS truck. And yet we can't get food, food to people that need it. And 70 million people dying in the 20th century. Today, one out of 10 of our world's population is starving. It's a sign that we're, we're in the, the, the beginning of sorrows. Number five, pestilence is this, this is the last one. Loimos in the Greek, it's any sudden epidemic, an epidemic disease causing a high rate of fatality, a contagious or infectious epidemic disease that is virulent or devastating. You know that in the 20th century, 
4.2 billion people died from disease. Think of that. 4.2 billion people died from disease in the 20th century. Jesus talks about this as a woman travailing in pain in the Olivet Discourse, that these things will get worse and worse. I've never given birth, but I've watched my wife do it four times, and I know this much about it, (laughs) that the closer the arrival of that baby gets, the closer together those contractions get. And Jesus said that these things would be like a, a woman travailing, these earthquakes, these pestilences, the, 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 the famines, the, all, all these things that, that, that Jesus is talking about, they're going to get closer and closer, more and more intense. Like those contractions of a woman giving birth, they're going to become more and more t- intense. Jesus is actually quoted, quoting Isaiah chapter 13. He says, well, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will be limp. Every man's heart will melt, and they will be afraid. Pangs and sorrows will take hold of them. They will be in pain as a woman in, in childbirth. They will be amazed at one another. Their faces will be like fire. So Jesus, all throughout the Olivet Discourse, he prophesies intense pain, sorrows, troubles. But he also gives indication that there's great joy. It's the great joy of harvest. You think about the pain of childbearing. Child, the, the pain of giving birth, but moments later, the joy that comes when that child comes forth. This is what Jesus talks about. This, he alludes to this. All these things are going to happen, but nevertheless, the gospel will be preached in all the world. With all these things going on around this church, we must be a resilient people. We have to be. We have to persevere. We have to overcome. I think about this gift. I remember when we were, we first moved to San Antonio, my, my fifth birthday. It's my first birthday in San Antonio. I remember two things. I got a pogo stick. It was a Spider-Man pogo stick. <laughs> and I got an incredible Hulk uh, blow-up punching bag. How many of you remember this? I had a, a, a bag of sand at the bottom that weighted it down. You punch it. What happened? bounce back. The Christian ought to be, ought to, we, we ought to be like that punching bag. Every time we get hit, we come back. It, I, I tried to knock that thing over and keep it over. It would not happen. I, unless I sat on it, it wouldn't stay down. Every time you hit it, it came right back. Christian, we need to get a bounce back in our spirit. Why are we so easily offended well, they didn't sing the song the way I wanted them to sing it. They didn't ask me to sing. That uh, They overlooked me. He forgot to thank me. And all these, they didn't treat my kids right in kids' church. I asked them to turn the sound down 20 times for the last 20 weeks, and they still are louder than ever. <laughs> think about all the things we get worked up over in church. Or they said this about me. They said that about me. Or somebody, so-and-so said this. We're all worked up about it. If you can't stand with the foot soldiers, what in the world are you going to do when the horsemen show up? We've we got to grow up. We have to mature. 
and get an unoffendable spirit. It doesn't matter if they spit on you. I'm going to keep coming back. It doesn't matter what they say about me. It doesn't matter if I don't get used the way I think. I, it doesn't matter if I get thanked. It doesn't matter if they, if they criticize my, my, my sermon after church and they tell me I preached too long or it wasn't good enough or I wasn't funny enough or I joked too much. It, it's not going to affect me. Amen? We need a resiliency. Nothing's going to take me off the worship team. Nothing's going to take me off course. Nothing's going to keep me from preaching the gospel. Nothing's going to keep me from witnessing. It doesn't matter what my boss says to me. It doesn't matter what they say to me at school. I'm just going to keep going. I'm going to keep trucking for Jesus. Every time the devil hits me, I'm going to bounce back. I'm going to come back. Amen? As I was thinking about this word resilient, I thought about this donkey. My wife, she already gave this away a couple weeks ago on the on, on the, the, the midweek uh, Facebook live stream thing, but I'm going I'm to tell it anyway because it's good. Y'all heard about that donkey? Y'all remember the story my wife told about the donkey that fell down in the well? The farmer's donkey, what did you say it was Pastor Bill's donkey fell in a well? <laughs> He's got donkeys. We come home at night, we hear those donkeys out there. They're protecting them longhorns. That's what they're doing. His donkey fell down in the well. And he did everything he could. He got winches and pulleys and everything he could do to try to get this donkey up. And they couldn't get it. Invited friends over. They could, did everything they could do to try to figure out how to get this donkey out of the well. They couldn't do it. So they said, you know what? We're going to put this donkey out of its misery. We're just going to bury it in the well. So they began to shovel dirt in on this donkey. And you know what the donkey did? He felt the dirt on his back. He would shake it off and step up. He'd shovel some more dirt in. He would shake it off and step up. More dirt, he'd shake it off and step up. More dirt, he'd shake it off and step up. More dirt, he'd shake it off and step up. And before you knew it, the donkey was out of the well. Come on, Christian, shake it off and step up. It doesn't matter if they throw dirt on you. Rise above it, shake it off and step up. It doesn't matter what the enemy comes, brings against you. Shake it off and step up. It doesn't matter what kind of assault he brings against us. Shake it off and step up. Get it. Come on. Time to get a backbone, jellyfish. <laughs> we got to rise up. Yes. Come on, we got real battles to fight. Yes. Amen? Amen? Don't get taken out in practice. Don't get taken out in the huddle. This is just the huddle. We got to go run the play. It's all right if you get hurt in the battle. Don't get practice, don't get hurt in the drills. Amen? Amen? We need some resilience. If I, could, if I could say the church should be like one animal, it'd be the rhinoceros. You know why I say the rhinoceros? See, zoologists, they have a term for every group of animal on the planet. They've named groups. Like, uh, if you see a bunch of horses together, that's a brood of horses, right? Cows together, that's a herd of cows. Snakes, it's a den of snakes. A, a flock of geese, right? A, a, a bunch of murder, or, or I'm sorry, a bunch of crows, they call them murderers. Did you know that? Flamingos, when there's a bunch of flamingos standing around in the lake, they call that a flamboyant. Kind of like a televangelist. <laughs> a bunch of buzzards on a wire, you know what they call that? A committee. It's kind of like the church board. <laughs> 
We have a great church board. I love our church board. We do. They're, they're great folks. Well, you know what they call a group of rhinos? They call them a crash. Do you know why? Because rhinoceroses weigh about 3,000 pounds. And they can run about 30 miles an hour. Do you know a rhino is faster than a squirrel? Top speed of a squirrel, 26 miles an hour. You didn't know you were going to get all this information this morning, did you? <laughs> Top speed for a squirrel, 26 miles an hour. Top speed for a rhino, over 30 miles an hour. Rhinos are faster than squirrels. Pretty amazing. And guess what? Rhinos can only see 30 feet in front of their face. So thus, when a bunch of rhinos take off running, crash. Whatever is in the way is getting toppled. Church, we ought to be a crash. We ought to be advancing like a crash. I don't understand all of the Olivet discourse. I don't understand pandemics. I don't understand race wars. I don't understand the polit politics of our day. I don't understand all of it. I don't get it. I can only see about 30 feet in front of my face. But you know what? The Holy Spirit's leading me, and I'm just going to take off running. And whatever, if the kingdom of heaven gets in my way, I'm going to trample it and run it over. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to look back. If God's telling me to go, I'm going to advance like a crash. We ought to be, a, the church ought to be uh, advancing like a herd of rhinoceroses through this world. Anything that's getting in our way, we're, we're allowing legislation to upset us. We're allowing politics to upset us. We're allowing the White House to upset us. We're allowing the Senate to upset us. We're allowing the medical professionals to upset us. We're allowing this to upset us, the school board to upset us. All these things we're allowing to upset us. Come on, folks. We've got to get our eyes focused out here like that rhinoceros. Appointed, their eyes are focused on the tip of their horn. Amen. We've got to get our eyes focused on Jesus like that. And we're not going to let anything distract us. Nothing is going to set us back. We are on course that the Holy Spirit is setting and leading and guiding us on. And nothing is going to hinder us. Nothing is going to set us back. We are going to persevere. We are going to overcome. We are going to be a people of resilience. Let's stand together. I'm finished. We need endurance. We need perseverance. We need a high pain threshold. Come on, devil. Is that your best shot? Hit me again. Come on. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep fighting. We need a, a jaw like Rocky Balboa. I mean, that, that man got beat up so many times. Mr. T beat him up, and Ivan beat him up, and Apollo beat him up. They, they, everybody beat him up, but he just kept, kept coming, refused to quit. Right? We got to fight like Rocky Balboa. We've been domesticated too long. We got to fight. Persevere. Amen. The coronavirus is not going to set me back. It's not going to keep me from doing what God's called me to do. It's not going to keep me from coming to God's house. It's not going to keep me from preaching God's word. The Democrats and the Republicans aren't going to keep the church from advancing. They can't shut our doors. We will persevere. We will go forth. If they burn our buildings down, we'll go to the streets and we'll preach out on the streets. We need to 
We need to get a Billy Sunday mentality. How many of you know Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was an old, I think he was a Methodist preacher maybe. He, he, was, he used to be a baseball player for the Chicago White Sox. He was a drunk and a womanizer, and the Lord got a hold of him and saved his soul and turned him inside out, and he became one of the most radical preachers of his generation. He used to run up and down the aisles as he preached. He would do somersaults and backflips when he preached. He would jump off the stage while he was preaching, and Billy Sunday said this. They said, well, what if the devil uh, take, takes your hands? He said, well, I'll kick him. Or no, he's, he's he, he, I, I forgot how it went. What, what, I think it started with his voice. What if the devil, he's, he was talking about preaching the gospel. He said, what if the devil takes your voice? Well, I'll punch the devil. What, what if he takes your hands? Well, I'll kick him. What if, he, what if he takes your feet? Then I'll bite him to death. <laughs> Come on. We need a bun, Billy Sunday kind of mentality. Amen? Nothing is going to keep me from doing what God has called me to do. Amen? Church, you're called. You've got a purpose. Don't let the enemy rob you of that purpose. Don't let the enemy slow you down. Don't let him hold you back. Don't let him discourage you. Keep going. Do not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Keep preaching it. Keep living it. Keep serving. Keep going. Keep ministering to people. Amen? Don't let anything hold you back. In the day that we live in, we need to be a resilient people. I'm done. I promise. Uh, I'm not really dumb, but I'm done. I can keep going. I'm feeling resilient today. <laughs> Let's pray. Let's pray. Put your hands up in the air. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Father, in the name of Jesus, fill us. Father, let the resolve of the Holy Ghost come in us, oh God. Let it fortify us, Lord, that we would be forged in the fire of your spirit, Lord God. Father, that we would be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of God. That nothing would set us back, that no nothing would overcome us, nothing would discourage us, nothing would, would cause us to, to relinquish, to give up, to, to move into a place of apathy, Lord God. Father, stir in us. Stir in us, oh God. Stir in us. Just put your hand on your heart. Lord, stir up the gift that's on the inside of us. Stir up the gift of the Holy Ghost. How many of you have received the Holy Ghost? Lift your hands. Father, stir up the Holy Ghost that's on the inside of us today. Stir it up, oh God. Stir it up, Lord God. Stir it up, Lord God. Make us bold. The righteous are as bold as lions. Lord, make us bold. Lord, put a witness in us the influence of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that we would be witnesses in, in Clarksville and in Jeffersonville and New Albany, in our county, in our state, in our nation, in the world. Lord, make us difference makers. Father, I thank you for it. I give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. Church, I wanna encourage you, go home and get prayed through in the Holy Ghost. Build an altar. And don't get up from the altar until God does something in you. And then get up and go do something about it. Every believer needs a mission in the world and a ministry in the church. Find a place to be a witness on, and, at your campus, at work, at, at, at school, wherever you're at. Find a place to be a witness. Shine the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't be bashful about it. Boldly declare the truth about Jesus. And then get a ministry. Get plugged in here. Serve once or twice a month here. Amen. If you don't know how to do that, again, I tell you what I told you two weeks ago, come see me. We'll get you plugged in. I promise you that. We've got all kinds of places we can plug you in. 
Amen? We got work to do. We got work to do, and we're not going to quit. We're not going to back down. I don't care what coronavirus says. We're not quitting. I don't care what government, government says. We're not quitting. Now, I'm not saying we're doing stupid stuff. Keep washing your hands. And, and not just wash your hands. Change your diet. Get healthy. So your, your immune system. God gave you an immune system to fight off disease. Get healthy. Exercise. Get out in the sun. Get off the couch. Right? Fast. Fasting will make you healthy. Right? It'll make you spiritual as well. Amen. Amen. Steve Manning.